Hello, and welcome to another episode, episode six of The Varied Tongues of God. Um, this is Terry Vandermark, also known as Thaddeus Quasar. Uh, but before we begin, I'd like to tell you about, if you haven't already heard the, this podcast, it's uh, Jen and Ailey uh, are the uh, co-writers uh, of um, the podcast uh, Michigan and Other Mayhem. Um, they talk about virtually everything. So, uh, check it out. It's really fun to, to listen to. Alright, so, now begins the latest episode. Gawa, still holding King Apak's hand, eventually brought the lead dwarf, together with his contingent of knights, to a round bunker with nest-filled turrets burrowed into a modest hill, carpeted with lush green grass and fragrant lilies. What is this here? asked the dwarven king. It is why you have come here, and why you have risked bloodshed. At last, announced the king, and, breaking his grip with the woman, dissolving his trust of the woman, he approached the heavy oak door. He grumbled, this is obviously dwarven construction. He grudgingly surveyed the stonework of the building, placing his hand on the bricks, allowing the stones the rare opportunity to speak after so long. How many brothers did they willingly sell into slavery to keep this place and its contents hidden? The dwarf reached for the smudged brass knob to open the door, when suddenly a violent action caught his eye. King Apoc spun around to see one, then another, then a third dwarf struck with arrows. The blows ushered away the three before they could in in intimate with death and his clanging minstrels. King Apoc reached for his axe. The butt of the handle balanced in the palm of his hand. Suspended, its deadly ability stayed. The blade positioned at the apex of the arc, calmly, restra calmly restrained by the slightest of hairs. He whistled shrilly, a command for his own brethren to take up arms themselves. Instantly, the six thousand dwarves were bristling with armaments. After all, around them, several hundred elven archers were materializing and disappearing, winking in and out of the known reality. Both sides stood, poised, silent, apparently respecting their counterparts and the death that would descend upon many. I wouldn't open that door, barked King Puffin. His face looked garish in the light of his troops simultaneously entering and exiting the village. King Apoc necessitated, Certainly, your own kind would benefit, should you continue to keep a proud, distinguished people down. The dwarven king understood the elves depended most on hypnotizing a distinguished foe. King Paphos and King Parrot both themselves materialized, each at the head of his own battalion of archers. What is this? asked the king dwarf. I haven't seen so many elves in one place, unless it be on the pyres. King Parrot stepped forward. Elves seldom concern themselves with the affairs of dwarves, even less with foolish, bigoted ones. But I assure you, let that secret remain so. Should you disclose what is hid within, there very well may be another war of the races one bloodier and much more harrowing than any one previous. King Apoc grunted his displeasure. 
All I know is these three lives, you elves, will exchange 100 lives for each. Their name runes will be written in blood on our foreheads. Go on, keep killing us, but one of us will get past this door. King Apoc himself shouldered his axe and was about to throw open the door before him when he heard an earth-rending shriek and saw something airborne blot out the sun. A forceful rush of air drove the king back. What is this nonsense the king had to know? He peered skyward, and his mouth dropped open. The other dwarves were aghast by what they saw. It was the philosopher and scholar Thokil the Younger, the one dwarf who refused a dwarf lord's crown. He was wedged between the two wings of a dragon. Stop, my brethren dwarves. I cannot let you enter this bunker, nor disclose this secret. King Apoc, understanding that his command over these thousands of dwarves was again threatened, punched the steaming snout of the flying beast, then mounted the hill and confronted the revered Thokil. What is this you do? needed Apoc. Are you not a dwarf? The reaction among the dwarves was severe. There was grumbling and punching and shoving. Lines of de demarcation quickly developed. Within minutes, the dwarves were pitted one against the another, a web of cracks expanding outward like ice on a frozen pond. Knight Gressel allowed this fact almost immediately. As they succeeded in dividing the trolls, so they also divide us. Thokil gesticulated with his bejeweled hand. I've read the chronologies. Once the knowledge of it was out there, among many of the first generation, it caused the dwarf wars, and it divided the dwarves hopelessly. They lost their wealth, they lost their precious cities, they lost their knowledge and technology, all because the first line of dwarven kings knew the truth and could not repudiate it. It was the first generation dwarves that asked Mayor Taurus to hide the secret here. Thokil, with the help of many respectful dwarves, praying for a de-escalation under their breath, not a few smiling elves, elves who feared the past more than the future, dismounted the glinting dragon and descended the grassy mound. Once the dragon took flight, the scholar then said, Humankind, very dangerous and frightful persons, know what lies behind that door. His eyes turned to individual village leaders, including Elder Gavin. They're counting on you learning the truth contained within. For what purpose? Why, that most of the dwarves would wipe themselves out, what with their fighting amongst themselves. And those that remain? That the dwarves that remain would serve under men as men's slaves. King Apoc was outraged. He readied his axe. The move was not ignored by his knights. They too reached for their weapons and kept a cautious eye on the pair as the two dwarves circled one another. The sunlight streaked from one blade to the next, flashing like lightning. Apoc snarled, You have wealth. You are distinguished, a person of honor at the university. It serves men for you to know the truth and not us. Do you deny, Thokil, that the world under the first dwarf lord was our world, that the nations of men feared and envied us. The United Nation 
was the pride and distinction of all dwarves. The night candle stepped forward. You have read the works of Scholar Skadel, Sir Thokel, haven't you? Thokel smiled broadly, a gold filling beaming. I've read the works of Skadel. There is even an anagram, so the legend goes, of what the secret is contained within the many volumes of his work. Though I have spent sleepless nights looking through those books, searching for it, searching for the precious secret, not the one housed here, but the one that could restore the dwarves to their former glory. You see that secret, disclosing that one secret, and not this one here, that is my hope, and it should be all the dwarves' hopes and dreams. What is it? What is this you say? marveled King Apoch. He looked fearfully at the leaders atop the hill, overlooking the drama taking place among the dwarves in the heart of the village. It was apparent that, should this secret be exposed, it threatened their lives and well-being. One of the younger ones clamored, that secret must never be uncovered. The dwarf war begins tonight. This is the first salvo. The boy named Taos ran down the slope of the hill. Immediately, a dozen elves materialized, training their weapons on the crazed man. Taos could hear the song of arrow on bow, of top bowstring. A single chord touched, reverberating between life and death. Taos shouted, I will be a mayor. I will. Thokil continued circling King Apoch. The scholar emphasized, I know the truth, but I choose to refuse it. I act as if I am ignorant of it. Your soldiers and you, you will be, have a luxury I do not. There is promise. There is a future. One of restored dwarven nation. As long as the truth that is behind the door is not revealed. Taos forced his way through both dwarves. The collision drove all three apart, as if they were planets acting on gravity. Taos crashed violently into the door. He wrenched it open. Darkness and a dank smell greeted the three. Go on, Taos urged the dark dwarf king. Go on in. An arrow struck the man in the throat. The heavy veil of death claimed him. As Taos crumpled, King Apoch peered within the bunker. There's something winking from within, the weary eye of God. The king touched the cool stone that served as a frame for the immense door. There was no denying it. It offered a glimpse of the future. Graves of tens of thousands, mostly men, but dwarves as well, and not a few elves. The threat, if the secret was revealed, was a global one. He knew this to be true. The dwarf king reached for the doorknob and pull, pulled the door closed. The dwarves shuffled off quietly and respectfully as dusk fell over Golden Bridle. It took several hours for the army to leave. The villagers had seen many armies enter and many armies leave, all of them defeated. They thought their skill and craftiness in disengaging the threats posed by each army would be exhausted by now. Somehow, Golden Bridle each time prevailed. They always came away with their power and status intact. But one threat, threat remained, the most dangerous threat, as it had never existed in such a fashion before. There were 562 villagers, 
villagers not from Golden Bridal, but from all the other villager, villages of the Northwood, angry with and fearful of the prominent village, for distributing lies to the others and, deceive, and deceiving them. Mayor Clue stepped forward. His smile caused the otherwise stoic leadership to titter among themselves. He honored the people of Golden Bridal. You have proven yourselves here today. We understand why Golden Bridal is the most cherished and respected village of the Northwood. You have turned away both an army of 9,000 trolls and of 6,000 dwarves. Were you anybody else, you would most certainly have been defeated, 85 of you. But you have survived the threat posed by each, and that without having to unroll a single scroll. Elder Gavin scoffed. They have no hope defeating their own. We know their tactics. We know their weapons. If Golden Bridal had one weakness, it was that it would certainly lose, should it find itself alone in a war with other villages. As the villagers washed over the prestigious village, the elves felt compelled to engage the invaders and defend their friends and allies. What do we do now? What do we do? asked Princet. Whose side do we take? Isn't it obvious? answered Plaphus. We owe our lives to Golden Bridal. Our fate is tied to that of Golden Bridal. Princet stroked his chin. We must kill the outsiders. We must. If we do not hold them accountable, if we do not risk our own nation's existence, and that for the promise of Golden Bridal, our alliance with them is empty. Princet chirped, Let your arrows fly. Make them hit home. There was the unnerving mew, the abrupt shout as arrows were released, and the dull rain as many arrows slammed into the earth. Most of the villagers had prepared for the wild card that was the threat posed them by the elves. The arrows fell out of the sky, eclipsing the waning sun, but the villagers had shielded themselves with invisible mantles that made their, the missiles useless. However, dis, despite the blanket of protection, with every 999 arrows that fell harmlessly aside, one arrow found its mark. But with the elves appearing and disappearing, it proved nearly impossible to fend off the archers. But one among them conveyed a truth. Target every seventh one. That is the strength of the elven offenses. Target every seventh one with a burbat, and we will effectively neutralize their capabilities. Bauer and Councilman Todd and Mayor Marvis complied. They picked up bats bristling with iron teeth then rushed upon the sophisticated formations of the elves. Despite them winking in and out of reality, the three were mindful and worked together to isolate and, elim and eliminate every seventh elf, bound together like a diamond necklace catching the light, one secret that the villagers knew and made use of. Dear God, wept Princet. He commented on the emptiness left behind by the death of twenty-one elves. Obviously special elves, part of the interwoven tapestry that was the elven nation. What do we do? asked Parrot, obviously trying hard to overcome the wound, more severe than even a mortal one. They tried to comfort themselves. They insisted the twenty-one return to the first forest. But there were names, faces lost, as a mist, as if some of these would never return home. 
What do we do? asked Princet. We have no choice. We must leave. We are defeated. The elves flashed throughout the woods surrounding Golden Bridal. They swiftly disappeared. The darkness they created by their absence was poignant. Only Princet remained. He took Gawa's hand, kissed it gently, and communicating a grief only elves should have to know. Then he apologized, then himself vanished. Now, stated Councilman Todd, you are all alone, people of Golden Bridal. Who is there now that will come to your aid? And the 500 plus villagers returned to fighting the 80 people that called Golden Bridal home. The outsider's victory was assured. It's Mayor Taurus, and the persons of Golden Bridal cheered as the firelight revealed Mayor Taurus, together with Peck Merrill and Mira and Zohar, entering their home. What do you think? asked Unge, chuckling. The odds, well, they are a bit better now, you gotta admit. Well, well, stated the mayor, clue of village creased map. The one who has made Golden Bridal great. All the opposing villagers knew to respect Mayor Taurus. They knew he could kill any one of them on a whim. Mayor Taurus knew how to exact revenge. He was the only one allowed vengeance. They parted, allowing the mayor to enter the square uncontested. What has happened here, I should ask? One life lost, so unnecessary. But all these? Immediately, Mayor Taurus was stricken by a paralyzing force. He stumbled and fell to his knees. Peck, Merrill, and Mira each went to his side to lift him to his feet, when they too were stricken with crackling electricity. Gawa and the other people of Golden Bridal spun around to meet the latest, the fiercest threats posed them all yet. I had, I had anticipated the mayor's arrival, remarked Kirchell. Everyone took a step back, as Kirchell, a bent and broken bald figure with a white robe and turquoise earrings, came to the fore. Who the hell are you? exacted Elder Gavin. I'm in charge of everything. That's nonsense, clamored Mayor Marvis. I don't know you from no one. Kirchell stepped forward, shimmering as he walked, the source of light subdued beneath his garment. I will assume the mantle of power over Golden Bridal, over all the villages of the Northwood. You're not God, avowed Mayor Taurus plainly. Mira ran at the stranger, channeling what energy she could at the man, but that energy was deflected as he took the palm of his hand and directed the blast harmlessly skyward. The ball drew shrieking bats to it. Peck Merle rushed upon the bald man. He crafted minute balls of pulsating power. Neither were these successful. The bald man simply bound these together while absorbing their strength, then shot them effortlessly into a nearby structure. The house imploded in a shower of splinters and broken glass. God is dead, announced the bald man. As secret is safe. Kirchell's magic defeated the people of Golden Bridal and this without touching a single soul. Come on, people of Golden Bridal, directed Peckmarl. There's plenty of us, and we have the strength. We've had the strength all along. 
We can beat this man. We can do it. The villagers of Golden Bridle ignored the others, only circled Kirchhall. They each summoned the unique powers their souls marshaled, and, using their interwoven bodies, trained powerful blasts on the bald wizard. Their minds were interconnected by invisible webs, no, no knowledgeably stitched among these people who had made use of such a skill for eons. The commonly created wave appeared to consume the man, to overtake, then defeat Kirchhall. But that was not the case. That was our best hope, admitted Peckmerle. We cannot defeat this man, averred Galway. He is much too powerful. Come on, my brethren, instructed the bald man of the outside villagers. Join me and slaughter what remains of the people of Golden Bridal, and I will bestow upon you the treasures hidden with your inn. What do you say? Who are you? imposed Elder Gavin. You have not befriended any one of us. The bald man shrugged. I will be the victor today, and not any one of you. Either you side with me right now, and together we share in killing the people of Golden Bridal, or you will be the next to die. This north wood is much too dangerous a place. Those among you who refuse to obey me, well, their remains must be scattered to the winds. The bald man swiftly created another ball of flame, a life to it, revealing a hostile, hateful, chortling face, and channeled it into Mayor Taurus. The couple, Pekmuro and Mira, lunged before the crippled mayor and sacrificed their bodies. They screamed as their bodies charred like a blistering campfire. The streaks of fire shot out of their rigid limbs. Kirchhoff chuckled. Your courage is undeniable. Too bad you choose to suffer. I could kill you with ease, but I do enjoy drawing things out. Despite the threat, the love of their the love for their own was too great to ignore. The people of Golden Bridal congregated around the mayor. They knelt beside him and clasped hands, despite acknowledging their weakness. They refused to be to let that knowledge affect their loyalty. The outside villagers that had taken the fight to Golden Bridal now stood abject, miserable and afraid afraid of who this man was and of what he was willing to do. We have to decide, whispered Elder Gavin to the other leaders, a wary eye on the cruel, bald stranger. We fight with this guy and we stand to lose everything, or we fight with the people of Golden Bridal and concede to them our own defeat. The villagers wavered between the stranger and the fearless people of Golden Bridal. Slowly, the outside villagers seeped like sand in the wave in the waves of water in the direction of the latter. You are choosing most poorly, remarked Kirchhoff. I will outlast all of you. None of you, no matter how many of you there are, are any match for me. Mayor Taurus introduced the first four stanzas of a song written in the first language, a song lost in thought, forgotten, a song many mayors thought need be forgotten. Immediately, the others picked up the tune, as though they had always known it. Gurchall was befuddled. His magic was defeated, squelched. The balls of flame the man had been mastering whelped as if wounded, seeking the cover of the peripheral forest. For the first time, there was fear on Gurchall's face. 
He took several steps back, hesitated, trying to muster enough strength to challenge the villagers, but failing. He took several more steps back. Gao was cautious. We have only seen a tenth of this man's strength. And, just as she said this, the grimace on the bald man's face turned into a knowledgeable grin. He lifted an arm, and with a defiant shout, dropped it. Immediately, all the villagers in Golden Bridal Square were struck mute. Kirchell smiled. I was smart to put that spell in my arsenal. I almost neglected to do so. You are silent. There may be power in your voice, and when you all speak together, yes, that is a frightful force indeed. Ah, the easiest means of defeating the song is by silencing a lot of you. Kirchhoff grunted, well, well, Tor Mayor Taurus, I have been watching you and this village from afar for several years now. Now, with your demise imminent, I have a special end in mind for you, Mayor. What do you say to that? Oh, that's right. Mayor Taurus of Golden Bridal continued to look the unabashed man in the eye, studying him. Kirchhoff shirked that frightful hunt. Regardless, Mayor Taurus appeared to find something in the man's averted gaze. But how could he exploit it? Imagine, if you will, drowning. Oh, I know you are of a special breed, Mayor Taurus. A special breed. Just a shave off of a mortal, am I right? Only the gods can wrestle with you and put you in your place. A gift granted a millennium ago for acts that allowed a god his victory. Generous he was, but you won't think so when I'm done with you. Kirchhoff glowered at the mayor. I am immortal myself. I know what it's like to suffer, to choke, to swallow, to cough, to fight for breath, yet just getting enough air to sustain you, to feed the flame. Yes, imagine the depths of the ocean. Imagine the pressure, squeezing from all sides, threatening to crush you, but you manage to stay on. Imagine the chill, so very cold, you forget what warmth feels like. There is only cold and no escaping the cold. And finally the chains, the chains that bind you, chains interwoven with barbed wire, your binds cutting you, the dull ache in the cutting barbs, you'll pray for death. It didn't come to me for a generation, and it won't come to you, ever. Kirchhoff took the mare by the collar and violently yanked him to his feet and led him to a waiting steed. Up you go, directed the man. He punched Taurus apparently fearful of that ever-curious, searching eye, an eye that was Mayor Taurus's feature that served to make him as frightful as he was for centuries. Maybe you will thank me for what I'm going to do to you, but then I don't expect to see you surface ever again. All the villagers climbed to their feet. They advanced. They wanted to make it clear that they would not give up the mayor so freely, though they had been struck mute. The people of the Northwood refused to back down. They succeeded in striking fear in the white-robed man. Many wept, only a few before had seen their common strength, and it humbled them. There was no peace among them. Even Kirchhoff was shaken. They approached the mayor, many forgetting their grievances with him. They congregated around the man on the horse. They laid hands on him. You are, for, you are fools, Kirchhoff scowled. You are fools to think this empty gesture will help him in any way. That's okay. I'll punish you. 
one at a time. Kirchhoff spun free of the swirling tempests that were the fearless villagers. Try as he might, Kirchhoff could not muster a ball of flame. What is wrong? What is this now? What has happened? He had seen several means to defeat his magic, which was why he used different routes, creating different methods of delivery, making use of regions of the mind, different litanies, even differing magic heralding from different regions and disciplines. Try as he might, he could not generate this magic. All the villagers acknowledged the intervention. They faced the village's northern periphery. The bald stranger saw what they saw. The villagers from Pistfield Canteen had entered Golden Bridal. They were unmistakable. Chalk covered their faces and their torsos. You are defeated, contended Kirchhoff, trembling. I have only to silence you, as I have done with these here. The wizard watched pensively as the chalk-covered persons advanced. He fumbled, mustering another ball of flame, but try as he might, the light faded, the flame fluttered, and the weapon was defeated. If they had magic, they were not making use of it, unless they only demonstrated one peculiar showing of it. The other villagers acknowledged the power of the people from Pissfield Canteen demonstrated. They acted as the, as the young painted men did, picking up stones and tools and advancing. What has happened here, Kirchhoff had to know. What would, you, what would they do? The stranger must have wondered, now that his magic was defeated. Tear him limb from limb? Seeing that he was beaten, Kirchhoff broke and ran. The painted boys that were advancing steadfastly did not falter but ran in pursuit. Only after the stranger was gone were the villagers certain of victory. Clapping thundered throughout the woods. A wave and a and nod from Mayor Taurus in the direction of the lead boy from village piss-filled canteen was greeted by him with a wide smile. They then retreated without fanfare from the village into the forest and were gone. The other villagers wept. They had not once seen how weak they are. The next couple hours were spent by the people of the Northwood sitting together, hugging and crying. The villagers withstood a great test. What was more, Golden Bridal was victorious as always. There was laughter. There were louds, something denied by the mayors for a generation. Once Mayor Torres recovered his speech, the first thing he uttered was a prayer of thanks to God. And that is the end of episode six. Um, the final episode of Varied Tongues of God will it'll be uh, the next entry. Thanks for listening and good night.